Uh, friends, would you pray with me as we come to this wonderful passage of Scripture? Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the goodness of your word. So we ask, Lord, that as we come before it, that you'd help us to listen, to hear what you have to say. And we ask, Lord, please, that these wouldn't be empty words, but words that sink deep into our hearts and transform the way we live and shape us to love our King Jesus more and more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, something I love about the Bible is how it speaks to us in different stages of life. See, I hope you've enjoyed our Genesis series as we've been going through it. We've seen some amazing ways that God was working in the world through his promises. But it's been an intense few weeks, hasn't it? We've had barrenness. We've had family breakdowns and almost losing a child. The last few passages we've looked at really speak into the darkness and sin of our world. And we need that, don't we? See, at times we really need to hear God's voice speaking into the messed up nature of our world and seeing his heart and commitment to broken people. And these stories have been a bit like an arm wrapped around us to comfort us and to help us to look up to God who is good. But tonight the tone's different. See, tonight's passage is a bit more like setting a firecracker off under your feet. This passage urges us to get moving, to live for Jesus boldly, to be so energized by such a deep confidence in God's love and faithfulness that we would take risks, that we would make big decisions for the sake of God's glory. See, sometimes we need to hear that reassuring comfort from God's word, but at other times we need to be sparked into action by God's word. And my hope and prayer for you tonight is that this passage would make you walk out of those doors excited to live for Jesus and sacrifice for the sake of your King. Because what this passage is going to show us is the rock, steady love that God has for his people and his undying commitment to his promise. Now, this is a big story, isn't it? 67 verses, there's a lot going on here, isn't it? There's a big journey. There's a well, there's a wedding. And there's some strange stuff in there as well. And see, it's easy for us to get lost in a story like this. And like a compass, when we're lost in a forest, it can be helpful to have some direction. And in this case, figuring out what the main point of the passage is first will help us then go through the story with a bit of direction. Now, I was reading this passage in a one-to-one last week, and I asked him, how would you figure out the main points of what's going on here? And he sat back, and he thought for a little moment, before saying, I think we'd have to pay attention to the stuff that's repeated in the passage. And he was spot on. I'm sure you noticed there's a lot of repetition in this passage. And can I tell you, this isn't superfluous. See, Back in the day, paper was nowhere near as easily available as it is for us. It's incredibly hard to come by. It's incredibly expensive. This is why any ancient manuscripts you ever look at is this tiny writing. Like we sometimes see these blown up versions on the internet. If you go to museums that house it, it's these tiny pieces of paper with tiny bits of writing because you've got to pack as much as you can into it. So this isn't superfluous. It's very intentional repetition. And so what we see in verse 14, the servant is going to pray. And he sets up three things 
First off, he's going to ask for water. Then the woman will offer him water, and third, will also offer water to camels, to his camels. And when God answers this prayer, you can see that in verse 18 and 19, the same three points are brought up. He asks for water, Rebecca offers him water, and then offers the camels water as well. These three things repeated twice there, and then a third and a fourth time in the recount of the story when the servant goes to meet Rebecca's family. Four times repeated in this passage. The author's going to us, pay attention. And thankfully, Abraham's servant helps us to understand what it is that these events are pointing to. See, it's at the beginning and end of his prayer. Have a look there with verse 12 to 14. Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. He goes through the three things and then right at the end there in verse 14, by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. See, God's answer to this prayer shows us who he is. It shows us his kindness. But I'm not sure the word kindness quite cuts it. See, this is a really important word in the Old Testament. You might have heard it before. It's the word chesed. I really like it because it's one of those words that you really need to clear your throat for, chesed. Other translations will use phrases like loyal love or steadfast love. And and it's a big idea, and I think these these are words that are getting a little closer. It's this big idea that's showing us the unchanging, rock steady love of God that he has for his people. It's also showing us his undying commitment to the people of his promise, of his covenant. Love and commitment, this idea is bringing them both together. And this, really cool, this is the first story in the Bible that uses this word, that describes God using this word, and does it three times. Just in this passage, it's going to be one of the most common words throughout the rest of the Old Testament to describe the nature of our God. This is the love that Genesis 24 wants us to think about. See, we're going to be looking at a diamond tonight, and you notice its brilliance and beauty all the more as you look at it from different angles. So, as we go through the passage, we're going to be looking at God's steadfast love through the lens of different characters. First, Abraham and his servants will show us that God's steadfast love doesn't need your help. Rebecca, she's going to show us that God's steadfast love provides abundantly. And thirdly, Laban will show us that God's steadfast love will not and cannot be stopped. So let's go through this story. It's a wonderful story for us to think through that God has for us tonight. First off, God's steadfast love doesn't need your help. As our story opens, we find an old Abraham. He's always been old in this story, hasn't he? But particularly old, he's facing a dilemma. So you remember God's threefold promise to Abraham that's been guiding the story so far? God promised him land, offspring, and blessing. And we see the blessing side of this promise in verse 1 is really going well. God has blessed Abraham in everything, most notably in his son, Isaac. But God's promise seems to be at risk because despite this blessing, Isaac is also getting old. And if God's promise of offspring is to stand firm, Isaac will need to have children as well. And this time, thankfully, Abraham chooses to trust God. 
despite the complications, instead of trying to lend a hand. Notice how confident he is that God will fulfill his promise. Grab your Bibles there if you've closed them. Genesis 24, I will read of verse 6 to 9. Abraham answered, And make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you, and you can take a wife for my son from there. See, Abraham in this moment is showing a beautiful reliance through his confidence that God will bring about his promise by his own means, despite whatever giant walls may seem to be in the way of its fulfillment. And I think this is meant to be a real point of growth for Abraham. Because if we've looked back the story, Abraham's made some serious blunders in trusting God, hasn't he? But his last recorded words in Genesis are words of trust, words of faith. He's not going to try and help God out with some human backup plan in case this doesn't work out. He's experienced firsthand, multiple times, that human backup plans to God's promises always go badly. See, it's like if I tried to help a pilot fly a plane that I thought was a bit behind schedule. It would not end up helping at all. It would only lead to disaster. So instead of taking things into his own hands... Abraham chooses to trust God. It's a wonderful moment in the story. So the servant heads off across the desert with 10 camels, a journey of almost 1,000 kilometers up to Aram Naharaim, where Abraham's extended family lives. That's like walking from here to Brisbane, let alone thinking about the camels and the other people he's bringing along. And when he arrives at the local well, the servant prays. So you ever read with me again from verse 12 to 14. Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I'm standing here at the spring where the daughters of men of the town are coming to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Did you see the way the servant describes the girl he prays for in verse 14? She's the one God has appointed, past tense. See, he's showing the same trust that Abraham has. The servant isn't questioning whether God is trustworthy. He's asking that God would show him what he has already planned to bring about. That's why he can be so confident that God will fulfill it. See, friends, God does not need our help. His steadfast love and commitment mean that we can trust him. Now, what would it look like for you to have the same reliance on God that Abraham and his servant have? The same reliance on God to fulfill his promises? Because like Abraham, we can be tempted, can't we, to give God a helping hand? Maybe the situation is you're sharing the gospel with a friend who seems really close to trusting in Jesus, but there's just this one thing that seems to be getting in the way for them. Are you tempted in that moment to maybe fudge over a difficult part in the Bible? Or promise something about God that his word does not say, just to help God out a bit in saving this friend? 
God doesn't need our help. You can rely on him because his plan is far better than anything we could offer. So friends, trust him and trust God's word. Or maybe it's another situation. Maybe you sometimes fall into the temptation of thinking that Jesus' death isn't quite enough to save you. Maybe you could help him out and make your salvation extra sure by being really good or keeping some extra laws. But no, Jesus' death was completely enough. Our salvation rests completely on him because he is enough. God doesn't need our help. Instead, trust him. Well, the second angle of God's steadfast love that we're going to look at is that his steadfast love abundantly provides. Because this story, after all, is a big story of provision. Remember the appointed language that we noticed before? We're about to see that God's provision goes above and beyond what they ever could have hoped for. Because verse 15 introduces us to Rebecca. I just want you to notice Rebecca's character in the story. She refers to the servant as her Lord in verse 18 and is so, so quick to be generous with water. And without any prompting, she also offers to feed all his camels. And now, this isn't just a top-up. Did you notice verse 19? I'll also draw water for your camels until they have had enough to drink. She goes above and beyond to serve the servant. Now, you get this picture of Rebecca running back and forth from the well to fill up water for the troughs for the camels. Now, I did a bit of research to find out what this would look like. Your average camel can drink up to 200 liters in one go. There's 10 camels here. That's 2,000 liters. And apparently, the average woman who carries water on their heads in Africa carries 20 liters on their head. Isn't that amazing? If that's what Rebecca was carrying, going back and forth, she would have gone back and forth 100 times. Rebecca's ripped. But more than any physical prowess, I think the focus is on her heart, to serve and to help. What an incredible act of God's provision in going above and beyond and providing a wife for Isaac who goes above and beyond in her service of others. This is the one that God provides to carry God's blessing to the next generation. And something I love here is that Rebecca, she's got no idea that God has appointed her, right? She's got no idea that God has been working in her life to grow her to be the one that would carry Abraham's blessing into the next generation. But God provides abundantly because of his steadfast love. Having seen this display of service that answered his prayer, the servant gives her jewelry as an engagement gift in verse 22. And once again, her response is to serve offering to house the servant in a parent's home until he needs to leave. Now, it's worth taking a quick aside and acknowledging how strange this interaction is to us, right? This is not how engagements in Janali go nowadays. And this helps us to see that whenever we're coming to the Bible, we're actually crossing cultures. Not just culture, but time. This would have been at least 3,000 years ago. So we need to be very careful of importing the way we view things into what the Bible is showing us. Rather, we need to let it speak and show us what is appropriate in the culture of Genesis or not. See, in our culture, it'd be really strange for a stranger to just bejewel someone they've just met. 
but because of the symbolism and the practices of this culture, this is actually a moment of excitement and joy. With Rebecca running home with excitement in verse 28 to share the news of this proposal with her family. So Yahweh provides abundantly. This is the generous character of our God. Not in giving his people what they want, but giving them what they need, because he knows what is truly good for us. See, I wonder, have you ever taken a moment to just sit back and reflect and think about everything God has done in your life to bring you to Christ and to keep you in him? The people he put in your life at just the right time who explain the gospel to you, or the people who are praying for you for years, for decades. That invite to church that normally you would have never considered, but for some reason you decided to give it a shot. The moment that God showed you how amazing Jesus really is. As I've reflected this past week, I've remembered the gift that it was to have parents who introduced me to Jesus from my very first days. I've remembered the moments God has given me courage to confess my sin to friends that I trust. I've remembered the camp where I really realized for the first time how precious God's word really is. So can I encourage you, friends, this week to do a stock take. Think back on the way God has worked in your life to bring you to and remain in Christ. Maybe reading Ephesians 1 could help you out if you're struggling to think of things. But I've prayed also that tonight might even become one of those moments for you as you see the steadfast love of God. See, God abundantly provides because of his steadfast love for his people, and that means we can trust him. See, everything seems to be going well, but there's one final obstacle. The question remains, will Rebecca's family let her go to marry Isaac? So that brings us to the last facet of God's steadfast love, that it will not be stopped. The last character for us to have a look at is Laban. He's introduced in verse 28 there as Rebecca's brother. And I love this introduction because it shows us how tightly biblical narrative is written. Now, you might already know a bit about Laban because he becomes a way more prominent character in Jacob's story, which we'll come to in the coming weeks. See, key players are already being introduced and foreshadowed before they even appear. Here we get a peek into his character and his motivation. So I'm going to read verse 30 to 31 with me. I want you to pay attention as I read. What's the first thing that Laban sees? I'll read verse 30 to 31 for us. As soon as he had seen the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he had heard his sister Rebecca's words, the man said this to me. He went to the man. He was standing there by the camels at the spring. And Laban said, Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, why are you standing here? I have prepared the house and a place for his camels. The first thing Laban sees is the gold. And when he runs to meet the servant, he's calling him, You who have been blessed by the Lord. Now, there may be some excitement for his sister's engagement, But I think the main thing he's seeing right now is dollar signs. He's thinking, boy, this guy must be loaded. He wants in on the blessing. He wants to take advantage of God's blessing. And this becomes characteristic of Laban in the Jacob story. He's a con man. 
This is the wrong response to God's blessing. God's blessing is given, not taken. And what I find really striking in this story is that God's steadfast love is greater even than those who would try to take advantage of it. After hearing the servants recounting of the events, God's involvement in this matter is so obvious to Laban that he's not going to say anything against it. And I'm sure he was also pretty happy when the servants started giving them precious gifts as a result. But he's not quite done, though. Laban wants to delay Rebekah's departure. And this ends up being a point of contention between the servants and Laban, and they can't figure it out. Again, there's a barrier to the fulfillment of God's promise. But into that barrier, into this standstill, Rebekah, the one whom God had appointed, speaks up. Read verse 57 with me. So they said, let's call the girl and ask her opinion. So they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she replied, I will go. God's steadfast love will not be stopped. Nothing is going to get in the way of God keeping his promise to Abraham, not human backup plans, not people trying to take advantage of God's blessing. God's promise is steadfast because his love is steadfast. It's a solid rock that no storm, no matter how great, could begin to move, let alone even erode. And even when the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise comes in Jesus, people still tried to stop it. In fact, they killed him. But even death was not able to stop God's promises. In fact, it was in the very death of Jesus that God set us free and brings the fullness of of the promised blessing. God's steadfast love is a firm foundation and it won't be stopped by anything. So trust him. Now this story finishes with Rebecca and the servant riding that long way, like the long journey home again. Isaac and Rebecca meet. Isaac hears of everything that has happened, of God's steadfast love and faithfulness and they get married. And I love the detail in verse 67 that Isaac brings her into Sarah's tent. Sarah had just died the chapter before. This is the new Abraham and Sarah, the new generation of the promise. God has beautifully displayed his steadfast love to Abraham, a steadfast love that doesn't need our help, a steadfast love that provides abundantly, and a steadfast love that cannot and will not be stopped. What a firm foundation that is for the new generation of the promise. And what a firm foundation that is for us. See, Isaac and Rebecca, they're able to already look back at how God has been faithful and good through the generation of their parents. How much more so for us, where we can see generation after generation after generation of God's steadfast love throughout Scripture and even beyond that. We have seen God's steadfast love throughout that and the greatest and surest revelation of that is in Jesus. Romans 5.8 God proves his own love, his steadfast love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more reason do we have to trust God? Well, as a final application, I want us to think a bit about security. See, security is a bit of a buzzword nowadays. 
You hear a lot about job security, about financial security, about physical security. Our world is constantly screaming at us to do everything we can to find security by our own means. And it doesn't lead, actually, to anything helpful. It just makes us all anxious. Friends, if you have put your trust in Jesus, these promises are true of you. I want you to listen really carefully to these. John 3.16 tells us, Death is not the end for the person who trusts in Jesus. You will be raised to eternal life. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. And Romans 8.28 tells us that God works in all things, even the greatest hardship and suffering, for your good. These promises mean that we have the greatest security we could ever find in Jesus. And yet I think these are some of the hardest promises to trust in for Christians in places like Australia. Friends, can I urge you to really think hard about what these promises mean? Because if these promises are true, and we've just seen how loving and faithful God is to his promises in Genesis, then financial security, job security, physical security, they do not matter to the Christian. See, the word is screaming at you, screaming at you from every angle that you need to find security. But God's word is telling you right now that you don't need it because you already have it. And what these promises do beautifully is they free us. They free us from the addiction of chasing this false God of security that can be taken away in a moment. And it frees us to live abundantly sacrificial lives just as our Savior did. I want to say this as gently as possible. As someone who's lived alongside Christian brothers and sisters in places that are far off, far off worse parts of the world, in Australia, we're not good at sacrifice. But because of the goodness and certainty of God's promises, we have every reason to be. So would you let God's rock-solid promises lead you to take risks for the sake of your King Jesus. To serve people who are hard to love and won't necessarily give you love or care in return. To be generous with the money and time that God has given you. Generous to the point that it's a sacrifice, that it bites. Could you consider not taking that job promotion that, you would, that would give you more security, but would take you away from your time with your brothers and sisters, from Bible study, from church. Because if you stayed there, you can continue to help each other love Jesus more. Could you consider moving to a place where you wouldn't be as comfortable or secure, whether that's in Australia or elsewhere, for the sake of reaching people with the gospel? Friends, our God is so, so worthy of us sacrificially laying down our lives for him. Is so worthy of our trust because God's love is steadfast and faithful. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much, so much for your steadfast love for us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to trust it, to trust what it really means for us, that you'd help us to live in light of it, to lay down our lives for the sake of our King Jesus who loved us more than anyone else could. 
We thank you for the incredible example we have in our King Jesus and in centuries and decades and millennia of Christians who've gone before us, who've laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. May we be the same. We ask this only by your help and by your power. We ask this for the sake of your glory. Amen.